Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to episode 75. It's 75. It is. First episode. What episode? 75. It's episode 75. This is 75 right here. And uh, it's first episode in November. What month is it? November. November? Uh, November. Episode 75. You got that? Write it down. There's a test after this. <laughs> Pop quiz. What episode is it? <laughs> 60. Fuck. <gasps> Fail. This is why you're supposed to just be here and look pretty. I don't pretty. do well in structured environments. You are an Aries and you thrive in chaos. It is the way that I am. It's one of the reasons I love you. And one of the reasons you drive me insane as well. Yeah. They can be, it could, <laughs> it can be both. <laughs> are you ready for a true crime story? Yeah, we riffed. That's enough riffing for now. Let's go. That's right. Structure. Huh. <laughs> I have a true crime story for you. It's a recent story. It took place a year ago. Um, actually, like, less than a year ago. Oh. So very recent. So there are certain details that are not yet available or are still a little bit hazy, but I've been researching this one like freaking crazy, mm-hmm. and I think I've I've got a good picture here. It's a crazy case. It's a very tragic tale, but the story has some important messages, so I believe it's a good story to tell. Before I begin telling the story, I said story 7,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> Just a heads up that it does involve a 15-year-old girl who was one of the victims, but is thankfully still alive today. Her real name is never given in the articles because she is a minor, and I'm sure you can find her real name if you care to dig deep enough, but I'm not going to do that. I, Like I said, she is still alive. It's a tragic story. She's a minor, and she deserves a fresh start if she pleases, so the pseudonym I'll be using for her is Grace. Yeah. Generally, don't go looking for that name. It's kind of a dick move. Yeah. Yeah. Like just not necessary. I've seen like just people commenting because they've known the family or whatever, so they'll they'll say her name. But it, I'm whatever. I'm calling I'm gonna, her. I'm gonna chalk that up to not knowing any better or just being kind of dense rather than malicious. Yeah, and and even then, I don't know that that's her name. That could also just be a pseudonym or something they call her. So I'm saying Grace. Okay. But not really saying Grace. I'm calling her Grace. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. People in Riverside, California were left reeling when they heard the shocking news of a horrible crime committed in the usually peaceful neighborhood of La Sierra South. Each detail they learned was more horrifying than the last. A teenage girl abducted, a law enforcement officer killed in a shootout, and three members of the beloved family found dead. Little did everyone know the story was so much bigger, and it originated 2,600 miles away in Virginia with an absolute monster named Austin Lee Edwards. This bastard come out here and did this to them unnecessarily. There's no reason for it, none. I just can't make sense of it. 
Detectives say he was after Brooks' 15-year-old daughter, home at the time. He'd met her online and drove his car across the country to meet her with ill intentions. It was a very disturbing crime scene. This guy is, or was, a monster. This guy's a pedophile. He's, he's a, uh, uh, an online predator. This son of a bitch that did this, he just has no clue what he took away from this world. He left a community torn apart, three family members dead, and a young girl who will likely never be the same. So we're going to start with the perpetrator, Austin Lee Edwards. I didn't find any information on him in regards to like his family life, his upbringing, high school years, nothing like that. That's mainly because he doesn't really seem to have anybody in his life really, like friends wise, and his family does not speak like publicly. This is the perpetrator? Yes. It's probably because he was out being a piece of shit. Yeah, from that... Uh, little intro there you probably gleaned a lot i gleaned several things mm -hmm. several have been gleaned and i don't care for him i don't care for him either i've made a, a an assumption based on all that i've gleaned and he's a greasy fuck yep, yep. he's a greasy little catfisher glean that he's a glistening gl greasy <laughs> gunt of a person yeah he's a gunt <laughs> So, yeah, because we don't have anything about this gunt, we're just starting really recent, 2021, that recent. So Austin Lee Edwards was hired by the Virginia State Police Department and entered the academy on July 6th, 2021. Biting my tongue. Uh, upon his graduation on January 21st, 2022, which is like just over six months of being in the academy, which is fucking crazy. He was assigned to Henrico County within the Richmond Division of Virginia. He resigned from the department on October 28th, 2022, a little less than a month before the crimes took place. The spokesperson for the Virginia State Police denied revealing why he resigned since it was part of his personnel file and cited a state law that basically bars authorities from releasing any details beyond a resignation, resignation date. So we don't know why he resigned, but even though he resigned from the Richmond division, he continued his law enforcement career in Virginia. He just went over to Washington County. He went to the Washington County Sheriff's Office on November 16th, 2022. So he was an active law, uh, law enforcement officer. I don't, I don't like this because it sounds an awful lot like shuffling them around. I mean, anything is possible. I yeah. I can't say because like I just said we don't we know, don't know. Yeah. but um as we'll talk about this and we'll see how especially Virginia's law enforcement agencies their story kind of changes a little bit more does details it, coming does out it change a little bit Brianna <laughs> just change their story mm -hmm. just a little in this yeah when they're pressured to oh that's just like them isn't it. <laughs> 
So when they're pressured to, then they'll come out with a little bit more information or, you know, a spin on the story. And there is um, at one point towards the end of the episode where one of the lawyers that gets involved says, like, you basically have to sue in order to get information. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, because it has to be filed in court documents. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little like peek into how this goes yeah i'll only just say one thing because i want to just scream it out uh i'm just shocked that six months of training <laughs> wasn't enough to fucking weed out some of the bad eggs mm, <laughs> rotten, mean, like, rotten egg yeah ca like canada's got what like generally two or three years of training i have no idea like you've got to you usually have to go through schooling and it's not like a hey like guy off the street you, can you run great you're probably good enough for this yeah that's a that is something else too i don't know exactly in in canada if it's like for province or a countrywide thing but for sure in the states it's like a statewide thing yeah and in virginia just as part of my research hearing that um like reading that a big problem in virginia is actually getting officers so there's mm -hmm. a shortage so i think there's also that like push to get them and keep I mean, the, them the irony is like if i were to like the irony is that if i were to just clean slate be like how would we do this and in a way that would be beneficial to bringing more people in i would make a career pathway out of it i would make sure that there's you know an element where after after high school you can look to your prospects and one of them is going to college for policing and it's a longer road than six fucking months mm -hmm. like for fuck's sake like you're not even allowed to work on a car after that long <laughs> like, <laughs> god damn it yeah no kidding but they give him a gun as long as they tell him his name first <laughs> you know <laughs> chief wiggum <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he became an officer after like six months so even though he had resigned from the richmond division uh, he continued his career in Washington County Sheriff's Office, and that started on November 16th, 2022. He passed psychological written physical tests as well as a lie detector exam as part of his employment, and he began his orientation process for the department and was assigned to the patrol division. During his background check, his previous employers were contacted, including the state police where he entered the academy through and Henrico County where he was uh, where he had resigned from. And Washington County deputies said, quote, no employers disclosed any troubles, reprimands, or internal investigations pertaining to Edwards. Unquote. The sheriff's office also said that Austin was still employed as a trooper with Virginia State Police when he applied to be a deputy. So by, you know, all career-wise appearance, there wasn't any red flags. Everything seemed normal. Yeah, no red flags, but I do know that employers typically also shy away from giving bad, uh, like from all those phone calls, like the kind of references, they'll shy away from giving bad feedback because they can get sued to shit with that. Yeah. They're probably just like, he's fine. Exactly. Especially when we go <laughs> on to learn that he's been employed through multiple agencies in Virginia. So it's like, if they realized that maybe at point A something slipped through the cracks but he was still able to be an officer mm -hmm. then what's easier to say well we fucked up our process sucks or nothing to see here he told us his name yeah 
Cool. So cool that's something to chew on while we discuss multiple red flags throughout the episode. All right. So the first red flag is right here. At this point in our story, it is November 2022. Austin is 28 years old, and he appears to spend his free time perusing the internet to find underage girls to talk to. Sorry, to catfish. <laughs> All right. So Austin, 28, would pretend to be a bunch of different people, usually other teenagers. A catfishing scheme he actually... Um, the catfishing scheme is actually how he started talking to 15-year-old Grace, and he was posing as a 17-year-old. I don't know if they met through an online dating app. I really hope not, because Grace was only 15, and there's no space for a 15-year-old on a dating app, in my opinion. No. Or if they met through social media, like Snapchat or Instagram, which would make more sense, again, in my opinion. But the point is that they met online. Mm -hmm. Grace lived in Riverside, California which is about 55 miles east of Los Angeles. So that's like an hour away and about 12 miles south of San Bernardino. More importantly, it was over 2,600 miles away from where Austin lived. And it's quite literally the opposite side of the States. Virginia is very much on the East Coast and we all know like California, West Coast. Grace lived in a beautiful home with her loving grandparents, 69-year-old Grandpa Mark Winnick, 65-year-old Grandma Sherry Winnick, and her mother, 38-year-old Brick Brooke Winnick. Not Brick. This is Brick. <laughs> Steve Carell. <laughs> so I don't know how long Grace and Austin were talking, but... Ryan Railsback, an officer in Riverside, California, said, quote, he developed a relationship with her enough where we believe there might have been an exchange of text, maybe phone calls, and he was able to get her personal information. He was able to get her address, unquote. It's unclear if she actually gave him I was gonna say. the address or if he's just a super freak who managed to find it. Yeah, like it's scary how much like information you like don't realize you give up on like social media. Exactly. Like, and then you like 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 geo you even post it. You completely forget. Like yeah. you're not obviously just going to post like I live at this address, <laughs> but you may give like clues like, you know, you photo of your town or like a, a store that's only in that town. Exactly. Right? So some freak like this for sure would be able to peg it down. It seems like he was able to peg it down just based on articles and stuff and the way that um, watching videos, how the officer talks about it and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's never exclusively said he managed to find it or she literally gave it to him. But again, like you said, people who are desperate enough or, you know, clever enough, they can just find it mm -hmm. because people especially if you're a 15 year old girl can just be a little bit careless yeah on tuesday november 22nd 2022 austin arrived home early from work where his neighbors saw him packing some belongings into his red kia soul and leaving with grace's address in hand austin began the near nearly 40 hour cross-country drive to the 11200 block of price court located in the La Sierra South neighborhood of Riverside, California. On Friday, November 25th, 2022, the day after Thanksgiving, Austin arrived in La Sierra South. He parked in a neighbor's driveway, walked over to the Winnix residence, and entered the home. Not long after, the neighbor, who owned the driveway that Austin parked in, 
and who I'll just call Alice because in news reports she said she didn't want to be named. Alice said she saw Austin and Grace head toward his car that was in her driveway, but Grace was obviously in distress. She was barefoot, crying, and attempted to mouth words to Alice. Alice said that Austin was wearing a black trench coat and a face mask and was carrying a plastic bag and a black backpack. Alice said, quote, I opened the garage door. He was stunned. I said, hey, you can't park here. And he actually apologized, said sorry. Fuck. Right? Before he drove off, Alice got Austin's license plate number and called the police to report the suspicious event and actually asked that police, like, somehow figure out how to conduct a welfare check on her because she's just basically taken. Mm -hmm. And she's like, um, they live in a, let's like a cul-de-sac, like a court. So like, it's a dead end. Mm -hmm. So they're obviously all very close. She's going to know, like, I've never seen this car before. I've never seen this guy before. I've seen Grace a million times. She's barefoot. What the fuck? Yeah. So she got the license plate and was like, come figure out what the hell to do about this. <laughs> so officers responded to Alice's call at 11.08 a.m. And while Alice is telling the responding officers, like, what she saw and how distressed Grace was, other neighbors began calling the Public Safety Communication Center to report smoke and a possible structure fire um, on that cul-de-sac. Oh, no. Firefighters quickly responded to the burning house, which turned out to be the Winnix house, where they discovered, quote, three adult victims lying on the ground in the front entryway. Their bodies were pulled outside where it was determined they were victims of homicide, unquote. While firefighters and police officers handled the structure fire at the Winnix house, Riverside authorities distributed a description of Austin's vehicle to law enforcement agencies in Riverside and the surrounding areas. A few hours later, police spotted the Kia Soul driving in Kelso, which is an unincorporated area of San Bernardino County. And the next part is directly from the police summary of the incident, uh, of the incident report, press release, whatever you want to call it. Quote, on Friday, November 25th, 2022, at about 1.15 p.m., deputies from the Morongo Basin Station and Sheriff's Aviation Unit observed a red Kia Soul traveling on Highway 247. The vehicle matched the description of a wanted vehicle related to a triple homicide in the city of Riverside. The driver of the vehicle, Austin Edwards, was also wanted in connection to the homicides and we, and he was believed to be armed and dangerous. Both Sheriff's Aviation and California Highway Patrol's aviation followed the vehicle from a distance until Sheriff's Specialized Enforcement Division, or SWAT, could catch up. The vehicle traveled south on Highway 247, then east on Highway 62, and ultimately to Kelso Sema Road. As SWAT intercepted Edwards' vehicle, Edwards fled and led deputies on a pursuit. During the pursuit, Edwards fired at the deputies. The volley of gunfire struck the SWAT vehicle numerous times. Edwards lost control of his vehicle, and the pursuit ended when he drove off the road. The female victim exited the vehicle and was rescued by deputies. Edwards exited the vehicle and pointed a gun at the sheriff's helicopter, and deputies fired at Edwards. Upon contact, Edwards was unresponsive and pronounced deceased at the scene. 
Detectives from Sheriff's Specialized Investigations Division responded to the scene and assumed the investigation. The San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department is investigating the attempted murder of the deputies and the lethal force encounter. The Riverside Police Department is investigating the triple homicide and any questions regarding the homicide should be directed to them. An autopsy will be conducted to determine the manner and cause of death, unquote. So that's what happened. Uh, His vehicle was spotted. He led officers on a high-speed chase. And thankfully, Grace was unharmed. She got away. Um, The officers saved her and Austin was killed. Or So in the initial reporting and media coverage of the case, news outlets were saying that he was killed by the deputies in the shootout. Mm -hmm. But later down the road and officers that were investigating it said that he actually turned the gun on himself okay or like that's what they say so like who knows really yeah but regardless he did die um which i mean most people are like that's fine yeah i'm good with that (laughs) i hope it hurt yeah me too thankfully grace was able to flee the vehicle and all of that uh she was unharmed Grace's aunt, Michelle Blandin, credits Alice, the neighbor, for calling 911. Michelle said, quote, making that call from the neighbor saved my niece's life, and that neighbor is a hero in our eyes, unquote. Yeah, no kidding. Think of all the times that, like, sketchy shit like that where, like, abductions happen and people just kind of freeze because mm-hmm. they don't know if it's a joke or something. Yeah. And they don't call. She fucking called. She was like, this is fucked and I'm calling. Not only did be she, wrong. Not only did she call, she was like, yo. You can't park there. Yeah, I love that you can't park here. <laughs> like, and in one of the um, videos I watched, like by whatever news it was, uh, Alice had said that she noticed the car because number one, it's bright red, but also noticed it and was kind of sketched out by it because she wasn't sure if someone parked it there, like it was a stolen vehicle and they were like hiding it there or if the person could still be inside it or whatever so like Mm -hmm. she was extra brave about it because i would be i would be too i'd be super fucking sketched out by a random car in my driveway like that Mm -hmm. just sitting there yeah so menacingly (laughs) creep like it was like backed in i'll post a photo uh, because alice also of course took a photo (laughs) it was backed in yeah god so she was like that's really weird why don't you just park on the fucking side like on the street i I don't know. Like, he obviously backed in so he can make a faster getaway, but, like, mm-hmm. wouldn't you rather be on the goddamn street instead of someone's fucking... Like, they wouldn't care? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that move seems to kind of have been the reason that he was caught up to so fast. Like, who knows how much farther he could have gotten or what could have happened to Grace or whatever if he didn't park in that driveway and Alice wasn't so, like, basically annoyed that there was a car there. Yeah. Like, think about what could have happened. Yeah, like, Grace probably wouldn't even be looking around going, like, the fuck? She probably less likely of her to be alert and looking around and seeing seeing them come out of the house and seeing Mm -hmm. that fucking sketchy dude, right? Exactly. And who would have even noticed the car, maybe, like, if Alice wasn't home or something, would have been, like, down the road, probably, that the cops are asking for, like, surveillance or ring cam footage or whatever. 
Um, so officers immediately took Grace into protective custody and began steps to help her cope with everything that just happened. She was put in the custody of Child Protective Services and quickly received trauma care and counseling, which I really hope um, she benefited from because literally her grandparents were murdered, her mother was murdered, and she was abducted. Yep. So really happy that they were like, time for trauma care and counseling. (laughs) The crimes Austin committed shocked Grace, the rest of her family, the public, literally everyone. His own father was in disbelief and horrified, apologizing on his son's behalf, you know, praying for the Winnick family and all of that, saying that he doesn't understand how this could happen. Austin's employers were in shock as well, you know, finding it really disturbing that he was able to conceal his true identity so well. Washington County Sheriff Blake Andis said, quote, It is shocking and sad to the entire law enforcement community that such an evil and wicked person could infiltrate law enforcement while concealing his true identity as a computer predator and murderer. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Winnick family, their friends, officers, and all of those affected by this heinous crime, unquote. I have fucking gripes with that statement. I have gripes with a lot of statements, and I actually have a catalog of them at the end. Oh, really? Good. Uh, infiltrate my fucking ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, do it. <laughs> no, fucking infiltrate. Oh! <laughs> that took too long. Infiltrate my ass. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, infil-fucking-trate. Like, you didn't do Like, to infiltrate what? He fucking joined. What a fucking Mensa fucking act that was. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, he just has to fucking sign up, apparently. Mm-hmm. Stop I... fucking breaking into Fort Knox. Exactly. You're asking for him to sign up. Not only sign up with um this this guy who's with Washington County, so that's the third agency. Like, it's all Virginia, but Washington County's the third one. Second one was Henry, Enrico, Henrico, however the fuck you say it. Mm-hmm. The first one was literally the state troopers. So, like, mm-hmm. he infiltrated all of them? Yeah, no, he didn't. You can't, you can't say infiltrate it. Like, look at it as a fucking con. Uh, what the fuck do they call them? The uh, limbo line. You can't say he went under the bar if there's no fucking bar. Nah. Right? It's just that fucking easy. You just sign up. You gotta go for like six, six months fucking training, and bam, here's your gun, here's your badge, and enjoy it. Oh yeah, I just wait till we get to the gun. Oh no. <laughs> So I want to say that there wasn't any cracks in Austin's facade. You know, there's no red flags at all. But as we can glean, you know, we've been gleaning. That's just not true. But we will get into more red flags soon. Uh, Cracks in his facade and all of that. The fact that the agencies didn't even try and see if he was something like this. Yes. Yeah. Literally, yes. Um, In the meantime, we will kind of continue with the investigation like it's not much to talk about but we'll continue with it all right here we go firefighters were able to put the fire out at the winnick house but not before it did some damage. Looking at a photo that I will post on Instagram, you can see where it demolished the roof on one side of the home. Because of this damage, family members of Mark, Sherry, and Brooke wanted the house boarded up for safety reasons. 
Investigators returned alongside the family on Tuesday, November 29th to do a secondary walkthrough while it was light and not as smoky before the house was boarded up. The investigators consisted of detectives, crime scene specialists, and members of the arson unit, and the walkthrough was to continue to look for evidence, mainly that could point them to a motive for this horrible crime. Sadly, animal services were also on scene because the Winnix family dog died in the fire. So, Man, fuck this guy. Yeah. Yes, I know. Poor poopy do. Detectives interviewed Grace about the moments leading up to the murders and her ultimate kidnapping. She was in the house when Austin showed up, but it's unclear if she saw any of the murders. But what is clear is that Grace was not involved in the murders or with setting the fire, nothing. She was just um, as much a victim as her grandparents and mother were. She had no idea that this freak was going to show up at her doorstep. Yeah, you know what? When a grown man shows up at a child's fucking house, yeah. murders, three and three people end up dead and a child abducted, um, you're not going to hear me go, well, did the kid have something to do with this? Right. Like, sh- shut the fuck up if that's your thought. 28-year-old man, 15-year-old girl. Yeah, I think that went through. Pro- posing. Remember, as we know, he's a catfish. He's online. He's pretending to be a 17-year-old. So. There's enough hot takes in this world. We don't need another. Oh my God, there's like way too many. And I mean, I'm probably responsible for half of them. <laughs> <laughs> so as part of the investigation, police were looking into whether Austin had been targeting other underage victims, which he did, shocker, and we'll touch on that later. I mean, you're not 28 years old all of a sudden deciding you're into 15-year-olds. No. On Wednesday, November 30th, autopsies were conducted on the Winnicks to determine their cause of death, which has never been released. Uh, but we do know it was a homicide and that Austin had a gun. So it's likely that they were shot. But I cannot say that with certainty. That's just kind of what makes sense. That same day, November 30th, police spoke at a news conference. Uh, they were giving like a case update and they were sort of touching base on the dangers of online dating and the risks it runs, especially for children. The family of the Winnicks was also there to be a part of the update and mainly to just thank people. So they thanked people for their love and their support quote during this horrific time in our lives, Mark, Sherry and Brooke were loving people who didn't deserve this tragedy unquote, which yes, a hundred percent. Yes. That's, it's so horrible. Um, also, as I'm sure you've already gleaned, I'm going to be quoting so much, <laughs> lots of quotes throughout this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to take a second here to talk a little bit about Mark, Sherry, and Brooke. There's not like too much that is known, but I mean, they're three people who did not deserve any of this. They're victims of an absolutely like definition of senseless murders. So kind of want to humanize them the best that I can. In a Facebook post, a relative described... Um, this relative's name was Eric Winnick, and he described his uncle Mark as, quote, an avid Notre Dame Packer and Angel fan. He never faulted me despite wearing Dodger blue in the spring and attending the university of a hated rival. He gave the best hugs that always made me feel like everything was right, unquote. I think we all have someone like that who just gives the best hugs. And you're like, oh, this is what I needed. 
and Uncle Mark was clearly that for Eric. Eric added that Mark was a softball coach at Arlington High School in Riverside, so Mark was clearly a huge sports fan, supporting tons of teams, had his favorites, and even in the photo I have of him, which, again, I will share on Instagram, he's wearing a t-shirt with a team logo on it, so sports was this man's life. In the same Facebook post, Eric described his Aunt Sherry, quote, as the most tirelessly selfless person. Very few rival her devotion to her family and level of altruism, unquote. So, I mean, that's a beautiful description. A GoFundMe was established for the family's funeral expenses, and it says, quote, over the Thanksgiving weekend, Mark Sherry and Brooke Winnick lost their lives in a horrific triple homicide. Mark Winnick was a loving father, grandfather, uncle, brother, and coach at Arlington High School. Sherry Winnick was a sweet and caring mother, grandmother, sister, and aunt who cherished spending time with her family. Brooke Winnick was a beloved single mother with the biggest heart and found her most immense joy in following her daughter in the color guard at Arlington High School. The proceeds from the GoFundMe will help cover the ongoing support of the two teenage daughters who lost their mother and need future care. Michelle Blandin is the immediate family member responsible for overseeing the withdrawal and delivery of funds from the fundraiser. Thank you for your contributions during this sorrowful time. Mark, Sherry, and Brooke will be truly missed. Unquote. So, basically, these people were loved. Their neighbors loved them, their family, their friends. They seem like amazing people that anyone would have been super lucky to have known. Mm -hmm. And I'll just touch on a couple of things from what I was talking about with the three victims. So it says that Brooke had immense joy in following her daughter in the color guard. I had to look up what color guard was. And it's like flag spinning. Oh, okay. So that like choreographed routine with the flags. Yeah. So um, that's what Grace did. And Michelle Blandin is Grace's aunt, Brooke's sister. And she's the one that thanked Alice for calling the police. And I'll talk a bit more about Michelle towards the end of this episode. And the GoFundMe goal was $100,000, which was met. So that's good. So, yeah, it's great to know the Winnicks a little bit better um, just to, like, put, like, real people behind just the names of three victims. But unfortunately, we do have to divert back to Austin because we're not done talking about that freak. Oh, boy. <laughs> In the first week of October 2022... A man named Jacob Gordon put a house up for sale on Allison Gap Road in the small town of Saltville in the southwestern Virginia area. <laughs> well, that's a long sentence I wrote. And when I say small town, I mean small town. It's Saltville is like maybe around 2,000 people. That's pretty tiny. That's like a town, town, small town, town. And for reference, um, still in Virginia, but it's a four and a half hour drive away from where he was living in North Chesterfield, um, Richmond area. But it does make sense to move to Saltville because he had recently begun orientation and was in the process of being reassigned to the patrol division at the Washington County Sheriff's Office. And Saltville's bordering that county. So, you know, that makes sense. But what doesn't make sense to most people is that Austin saw this house for sale. And he made a full price offer, 
which was almost $80,000, on this two-bedroom, one-bathroom house just hours after it was listed, and he actually won the bid. But he asked nearly, like, no questions about the home. He never inspected it prior to moving in. He didn't even visit it once. He just found out that he got the house, moved in on November 14th, 2022, which is so bizarre. That's very weird. Like, there's some reasons for that, apparently. He just... Yeah, it's not like here where it's like, if you don't make a bid as fast as humanly possible, it's like scooped up and it's cost a fortune already. This is like middle of buttfuck nowhere. Actual middle of buttfuck nowhere for 80,000. 80,000. Was it like a shithole? Not really, no. Yeah, no, I didn't. I kind of had a hunch it wasn't. It's small. It's two it's bedroom, small. one bathroom. But uh, from the photos, no, it's not like anything special. Like it certainly needed some work. But I mean, if that was the house I had to have, I would be okay with it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he just moves in. <laughs> no, no, like questions, inspections, nothing. Okay. And he moves in just eleven days before the murders and abduction. Oh, okay. Now, the creepiest thing of all, Jacob Gordon said after moving into the house, Austin hung blackout curtains everywhere and tinted the windows I get with what discovered. Jacob believed to be tint for car windows. Mm-hmm. It wasn't clear why he did this. Um, Jacob didn't discuss it with Austin. He said he didn't really think much about it at the time, especially since he described Austin as very shy and keeping to himself. So... He just was like, I don't know, whatever, it's his house. Something else strange was that Austin didn't have many possessions. There was barely any furniture in the home. Right. All of this is super creepy. This is 100% creepy. I can't help. This dude was creating a fucking dungeon. Exactly. That's what he was doing. How did the guy, like, what, like, if I knew someone that was doing this, I'd be like, like, I'm putting you on the like other agencies don't have to find you to put you on a list i will personally put you on the list yeah you shit hawk yeah <laughs> i mean i would also be like that's fucking weird but then i kind of can understand why jacob gordon was kind of like i'm not gonna ask questions because it is in the middle of fucking nowhere he's austin is basically an outsider moving into town and if i saw somebody putting like blackout curtains and tinted windows me as like an avid true crime uh fan i guess mm-hmm. i would be like suspicious <laughs> hate it i'm saying something but i can see other people maybe being like i don't know maybe plants on there, like growing there, pot in there or there is that um kind of like not my business mm-hmm. like mind your own business type situation and like you know usually i'm i'm for people just minding their own fucking business but here's a classic example to challenge that yeah even just to be like bro never seen anything like that what's that about yeah to see what he would say anyway yeah but it just is it's just too sunny here you know right where's all your furniture i don't like chairs <laughs> like i i'd be i would love to hear the excuse me too i don't know he's a freak he would probably say something so strange <laughs> but yeah this is just absolutely horrifying especially with what we know mm-hmm. and it just like, I cannot help but wonder what his plans were and what would have happened to Grace if he was successful in getting her inside of his creepy-ass house. Yeah. Like, oh, it gives me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Since Jacob and Austin were going to be neighbors now, 
Jacob told Austin he was glad to have a cop living right behind him because his wife and baby are home alone a lot, so it made him feel better, you know, safer. (laughs) Jacob had described Saltville as, quote, rural Appalachia, a place where credit cards can't be used on gas pumps and fast food franchises are all but non-existent. When you come home, you're traveling back in the past, unquote. Deliverance vibes. No wonder he wanted a cop near his wife and baby. Where's the nearest McDonald's? Back the hell where you came from. Actually. Yeah. So like Jacob, I mean, like everyone, Jacob was shocked and disturbed by Austin's horrific actions. And I imagine he felt sort of deceived and violated knowing someone who is supposed to serve and protect went on to commit these horrible crimes, especially someone that you sold a house to, someone you were trying to be friends with and be nice to and bring them into your life and say, like, I'm so happy you're here. My wife and baby are home a lot. And then you find out this is who he really is. You would be like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. What have they done to us? (laughs) What did they do? (laughs) For about 10 seconds, I thought monsters were on the world. That's what I monsters around the world (laughs) and that's i think you should leave sorry about that so for example because austin was seemingly new to the area jacob offered to go to dinner with him at a nearby chinese restaurant but austin quote politely declined saying he quote moved to the area because he'd grown up in the region and wanted to return unquote now this is obviously hinting at the fact that he doesn't really want to be friends, like too close with Jacob. It's also hinting that he wasn't really new in town, but no one knows if it's true that he grew up in the area because his family hasn't spoken publicly to provide more information about Austin's life. So it's a weird lie if it is one, but like also it not distancing, distancing yourself from literally everyone to that degree would be just leading into the whole fucking weird ass shack he's building and just having zero connection with anyone in the community so they can't put anything together it's so clearly obvious that he has an online presence only yeah like he's obviously online grooming Mm -hmm. underage girls catfishing underage girls god knows what other kind of freaks he's talking to Mm -hmm. like Somebody who isn't talking to their family really has no friends, no like even classmates, like former classmates or coworkers saying anything about him. Like this guy has just not lived on earth mm-hmm. like most people have. Like he's probably got the grossest online footprint. Yeah. This is all me just ranting and speculating because we don't know anything about him. So uh all i could find just don't trust the man who tints his fucking house windows oh my god just no don't that's fucking weird <laughs> so yeah like i said we cannot verify if it's true that he grew up in the area like you said really weird lie but austin's obviously a really weird guy all i could find in relation to like his family and stuff was what i had said earlier which was about his father being in shock and not understanding why austin would commit such horrible crimes like mm-hmm. that's literally the only quote related to what he's done from any of his family or friends and that wasn't even a quote it was just like a part of an article where they were like and his dad said he couldn't believe it 
Yeah, like a paraphrase, yeah. It wasn't like, yeah, go ahead and quote me and put this in the paper. Yeah. As the investigation progressed and more people were spoken to and facets of Austin's life examined in order to gain insight into his life, more red flags emerged. Red flags that made people wonder how Austin was hired by two law enforcement agencies in Virginia. A Los Angeles Times, oh, a Los Angeles Times reporter, mm-hmm. <laughs> discovered that in 2016, a judge signed a temporary detention order in response to an incident that took place with Austin when he was 21 years old. So this is what I'm going to read is directly from the incident report. Um, one moment as I tab over. This will be great. Here we go. All right. Did I say what the date was? No, I didn't. I just said 2016. So the date is February 7th, 2016. Technically February 8th, actually, because it was like the wee hours, you know? Mm-hmm. So on Monday at 3.33 hours, Officer Dia was dispatched to 471 Nicholas Street to assist the WCLSC at their request. The WCLSC is basically a paramedic, paramedics and ambulance. So I just don't keep getting tongue twisted. <laughs> yep. I'm just going to say paramedics. Other than that, I'm continuing with what the incident report says. The paramedics had originally been dispatched to the residence due to a report of a laceration to the hand of a 21-year-old male, later identified as Mr. Austin Edwards. According to... EMTs Brandy Hay and Martin Duncan, when they arrived, Austin was being held down in an Indian-style position by his father, Mr. Roy Edwards. EMTs advised that Roy had discovered his son in the bathroom with a self-inflicted injury to his left hand. EMTs requested police units in response due to Austin's resistance to medical aid and attempts to escape his father's control. Officer Dia arrived on scene and found a large presence of blood in the home. Austin continued to be resistant, refusing to let EMTs treat his heavily bleeding wound and his continued attempts to get up from his father's control. Officer Dia contacted me by radio for assistance. Upon my arrival, Austin was placed in handcuffs and placed on a stretcher for ambulance transport to JMHER. That's the hospital ER. Austin had an apparent serious cut to his left hand. Austin made several statements in the presence of officers that he wanted to die, that he would try to kill himself the instant he was free from restraints, and that he would kill his father. Due to Austin's self-inflicted injury and suicidal-slash-homicidal statements, he was echoed, brackets paperless, at 3.40 hours. Officer Dia followed the paramedics um, in the ambulance to the hospital ER. I spoke to Roy, who advised that he and Austin had been watching the Super Bowl on Sunday evening and each consumed two beers. Roy advised that he went to bed and awoke to the sound of Austin in the bathroom making noise. Roy advised that he called out to Austin, who advised that he was locked in the bathroom and couldn't exit. Roy advised that he used a screwdriver to open the door and discovered Austin had a self-inflicted cut on his hand. Roy was not immediately certain what type of instrument caused the injury, 
but did advise that knives and a small hatchet were present. Roy advised that Austin then went into his bedroom and sat on his bed. Roy advised that he contacted dispatch for an ambulance. Roy advised that he went back to Austin and he observed him with a pocket slash folding knife repeatedly opening and closing the blade. Roy advised that when Austin learned an ambulance was en route, he tried to exit the apartment's front door and then the back door. Roy advised that he subdued Austin in the kitchen floor until the paramedics arrived. Roy had bite marks on both forearms caused by Austin while he was restraining him. Roy declined treatment for the bite marks. I photographed the presence of blood in the home for documentation purposes as well as the knives believed to have been used to cause the injury. Roy advised that Austin never had a history of suicidal behavior or attempts. Roy advised that he had no explanation of why Austin harmed himself, but did advise that he might be having trouble with a relationship with a girlfriend. Austin calmed down and became more cooperative upon arriving at the ER. Officer Dia remained with Austin and I spoke to Mr. Josh Fleener, Highlands Community Services, to brief him about the incident. Nothing further at this time. Supplement. On Monday, February 8th, 2016, at 3.33 hours, I was dispatched to assist the crew with a subject who was bleeding. Upon arrival, I saw two male subjects bent over the kitchen sink, and Roy was struggling with his son, and there was a very large amount of blood throughout the apartment. A kitchen knife was taken from the sink as Austin was trying to harm himself and was threatening everyone. Once I started giving Austin commands to show me his hands and get on the ground, he began screaming and threatening everyone. I then produced my taser, and Austin yelled at me to tase him. Roy began telling me not to tase him, that he could get him down, and he did not have any weapons. Upon trying to get Austin down on the ground, he became more combative, and myself and Martin Duncan, with the Washington County Life Saving Crew, went hands-on and fought the subject to get handcuffs on. Austin was actively resisting and trying to bite everyone to keep from getting cuffed. I'm sorry. We were able to get Austin cuffed and strapped down to a stretcher to transport Austin to Johnson Memorial. Austin was held under a paperless eco until Sergeant Finney arrived to relieve me. Sergeant Duncan stayed and spoke to Roy. I completed a use of force form related to this incident. And the last paragraph here is another supplement. On February 8th, 2016, at 07 hours, I relieved PD-8, which is, um, I believe, a badge number, so an officer, from the hospital and stayed with Edwards until the TDO was ordered. At 11.07, I transported Edwards to Ridgeview Pavilion in Bristol and arrived there at 11.34 hours without incident. No further information at this time. So that was a little bit long, but... I so checks out that he's a fucking biter. Oh my god, I did not mean to start laughing, but just the way that is... He started, started biting to... everyone. <laughs> oh my god. Austin was actively resisting and trying to bite everyone to keep from getting handcuffed. He's not <laughs> f- really fighting. He's just like, keeps trying to bite people. Yeah. And also, the dad... Like, li- listen, anyone listening, if you get bit by a person... 
get it treated it's the nastiest shit you can get people's mouths are fucking gross they're worse than dogs man like when you get bit mm -mm. like Mm -hmm. i've heard it from several people working in like medical field the human bites are disgusting get them fucking fixed yeah also you think austin is like super hygienic probably not no he's probably got gross mouth he's probably never flossed a a day in his life oh yeah (laughs) cool ranch too so it's stanking mountain dew more like mountain don't am i right you're right (laughs) so yeah that's the whole ordeal that took place in 2016 um i mentioned whatever pavilion in bristol so that's basically like a psychiatric facility Mm -hmm. so later that day a judge approved a temporary detention order and austin was transferred to a psychiatric facility during his psychiatric stay another judge barred austin from purchasing possessing or transporting firearms According to the treatment order, Austin agreed to voluntary admission for inpatient treatment for 72 hours, unless released earlier. He also was advised that his gun rights had been revoked unless restored by a court. So I had said, mentioned something earlier about like, oh yeah, just wait till we talk about the gun. Mm-hmm. Like there's no evidence that the court ever um, restored his ability to own a firearm. Right. So he's literally a law enforcement officer. Yeah, that's fucking ridiculous. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, because I I completely like brain farted. And I'm like, well, you just get it from private sale or something. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a fucking cop. cop. (laughs) He's an officer who went on a rampage, murdered three people and either turned the gun on himself or didn't regardless with a service weapon there's no way it wasn't a service weapon mm-hmm. yep a gun that he's not supposed to have because he was in psychiatric care that was ordered by a judge how does that even happen how does like a like that's just a rudimentary background check at that point you'd think yeah you would think like you, you go work at a daycare they're gonna run a more expensive background check than <laughs> than a fucking police officer what's going on here that's a huge question that everyone had. That's why, like, people weren't letting up on this. They were like, what happened here? Yeah. Like, how did you not know about this incident? And the various law enforcement agencies in Virginia were like, we didn't know. It didn't come up in his background check, a regular records check, whatever. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, in front of Abingdon police, Austin threatened to kill himself. He threatened to kill his father. He was displaying signs of being seriously mentally ill. Kept he yelling, was... I've got that dog in me. Oh my god. Well, he was just <laughs> yelling and threatening and being combative and trying to bite trying everyone. To bite people. Yet, yeah. this is the guy that was hired by law enforcement twice. So it still begged the question, how was he hired with a background like this? So the Virginia State Police reviewed his hiring process and released a statement that said, quote, We investigated ourselves and we've deemed that we've done nothing wrong. They did investigate themselves. (laughs) Uh, Quote, the department's administrative review is now complete and has revealed that human error resulted in an incomplete database query during Edward's hiring process. Although we believe this to be an isolated incident. Steps Mm -hmm. are currently underway to ensure the error is not repeated going forward. The department is also proactively auditing existing personnel records and practices. End quote. I would love to find out how many officers they have to, like, revoke for that. 
Yeah, I really Hope's don't not know. not the right word, but you know, let go. Oh, uh, you mean like actually complete a, a legit background check and see how many of them they did let fall through the cracks like Austin? Yeah, yeah retroactively assessing their... I hate... I hate statements like this because like <clears throat> they play legalese with this. Yeah. Because like you know they sent it over to a lawyer, their legal team too, right? Yeah. So they're probably like word it this way so it doesn't actually say that we're gonna run background checks. Basically, we're, we're auditing existing. The papers, like, <laughs> right. Dana Schrade with the Virginia Association of Poli- Chiefs of Police. God, that's so long. Said this incident. <laughs> prompted a closer look at hiring policies for law enforcement in Virginia, which, I mean, yeah. is fine. But we're not done with the Virginia police agencies. We're, we're just going to like put a pin in it for now so that we can um, move on to something else. Okay. We'll come back to them. Don't worry. Yep. As I mentioned earlier, detectives were looking into the possibility that there could be more underage victims of Austin's, initially believing he was likely to have catfished other girls detectives discovered he had in fact been messaging underage girls online more uh, other girls for nearly a decade austin met one of his first underage victims through a chat app called omegle oh omegle yeah okay i've never heard of it so i looked it up to be like is this still a thing yes it's still a thing and their tagline is talk to strangers yes literally like I think that's been around since like like YouTube days, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was it was like basically like a you're guaranteed someone's going to flash you their dick. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um okay, wow. I live under a rock. I've never heard of it. Yeah. So, that's where they met. She was 13 years old when Austin began messaging her. So, again, underage girl and I'm going to give her a pseudonym. A pseudonym. I'm going to call her Casey. So detectives uncovered 4,000 messages between Austin and Casey, which appeared to have been exchanged over a two-year period. And this two-year period was 2014 to 2016. When Austin spoke to Grace, he was 28 years old, posing as a 17-year-old. But when Austin was talking to 13-year-old Casey, he didn't catfish her or lie about his age, as proven by this creepy-ass message. Quote, did I tell you I went trick-or-treating? I totally did. Am 20. She responded, me too. Am 13. Your face. (laughs) So not only is he 20, he went trick-or-treating. Yeah. And he's talking to a 13-year-old who also went trick-or-treating because she's 13 and 20 years old trick-or-treating and talking to a 13 year old girl you stop at like 15 like oh my god that's late that's late the last time i went was when i was 13 yeah i stopped i stopped early like i don't think high school or anything i was doing that no i never went in high school i don't even think i went in the eighth grade yeah i don't think so either. if i did it was with um alex and julia like my sister my sister and brother fourth grade probably my last fourth or their fifth so you were 10 no way free candy man remember. you said you were a chunky dunker you definitely went for free, <laughs> free candy yeah but i had all the candy i wanted at home because my parents <laughs> would buy a shit ton and no no kids showed up at the house so <laughs> yeah well, definitely definitely around like 13 you're just kind of like yeah i'm too old for this now it's okay you don't have to tell the people that you were also 20 <laughs> <laughs> 
I did go on a huge rant about how much I don't like that like kids these days aren't using their pillowcases to carry candy the- anymore. They're buying it from the store, these shitty little buckets, which are like really yeah. tiny. Yeah, if you have a bucket, it's because you're like a baby. Yeah, that used to be like the little baby one. And now it's just like everyone just uses the bucket. Are you I'm kidding? Like, I was using, case, man. I was like r- r- looting the place <laughs> looking for the biggest pillowcase. Yeah. Dragging stuff around with me. Like, we're not done yet. We have to hit up the entire street of complexes. <laughs> yep. Okay. Anyway, we're allowed one tangent, you know? Yeah. So Austin's well aware that Casey was 13 years old. Austin referred to her as his girlfriend. He would masturbate on Skype calls and ask her to undress, which she repeatedly refused. That didn't stop him. He continued to ask her to undress for him or ask her to send him nudes. And she always refused. And he started to get angry. Then he started to threaten violence. During video calls, Austin began showing off his knife and hatchet collection. One of the hatchets would end up being the one that he used in that 2016 incident that I was talking about, where his father had told authorities that his son had been dealing with, quote, girlfriend problems. Oh, my God. That's so gross. And Casey believes that she was the girlfriend that Austin's father had been referring to. Because remember, Austin was 21 years old at the time in 2016 when that incident happened. And Casey... She would have been 15 in 2016 because she was only 13 in 2014 and they started talking. So it lines up. Mm -hmm. According to Casey, Austin shared his suicidal thoughts with her, telling her she was the only person he had. She was his only reason for living and he would threaten to kill himself if she cut communications with him. Typical abusive, gaslighting, gross behavior. Mm -hmm. In 2015, he asked her to Skype. But Casey said she couldn't because her mom was home. And he wrote, kill her. Then, I'm going to give myself a black eye, okay? (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) All right, well. We'll never understand the mind of such a freak, and that's a good thing. Christ, what a, man, like, there's no, there's no arguing with that. (laughs) Ridiculous. Oh, no, he's going to give him a black eye. He's going to give himself a black eye. Like, okay. Stupid ass. After two years of messaging and several attempts at breaking things off, the then 15-year-old Casey blocked Austin. He continued to message her on different Facebook accounts, even though she never shared her real name with him. So, super freak, able to find whatever. Mm -hmm. And now 22-year-old Casey, now as in today, 2023 said that she wasn't surprised at all that Austin had unleashed such violence on Grace and her family because she, quote, knew how scary he was. Quote, it's just crazy that he was able to become a cop with me knowing his mental health issues. I don't understand how he got past everything because it was so prominent to me that he had so many issues just from talking to him in that time period. Unquote. It's like, hmm, this is a 22-year-old woman who's like, it's kind of fucked, right? Yeah. And literally the entire world seems to be going, how did this happen? I will not stop holding you accountable. What is going on? How did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? Yep. And the Virginia police agencies are just like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just like a yeah, human we're error. As dumped as you are. It's you like, let us know if you find something out. So crazy, right? Anyway, what's your name? <laughs> Y'all want again?
The scrutiny of the various Virginia police agencies was so abundant that in January 2023, at the request of Governor Glenn Youngkin, Virginia's Inspector General began investigating the state police's hiring of Edwards. Human error was not a good enough excuse, and Glenn wanted more answers and accountability. In a document dated December 30th, 2022, Colonel Gary Settle, who is the Virginia State Police Superintendent, wrote a letter addressed to Virginia's Inspector General that confirmed that Austin Edwards had disclosed his 2016 psychiatric stay. Settle blamed his hiring on the background investigator who handled his application. Although Edwards' admission wouldn't have been a, quote, automatic disqualifier on its own, it was a missed, quote, opportunity for clarification. Settle also wrote, quote, unfortunately, the error allowed him to be employed as there were no other disqualifiers, unquote. This mistake was due to a, quote, arcane difference in the search codes back in the search codes background investigators are supposed to use while screening aspiring cops. Oh, okay. So the investigator who handled Edwards' background check used a code for applicants and failed to include a code for firearms, which would have brought up all Virginia mental health orders. How do you miss the code for firearms when you're hiring for a cop? Because it's an arcane difference, you know? So it's something that's, like, not very obvious something that's more discreet or hidden and he was obviously new or poorly trained and he didn't look for that he only is there not like a checkbox for this shit like you have to check the following and you can't submit until you've disclosed that you've checked everything like that's that's not just like a human error that's a systematic failure exactly so the correct query if this background investigator had done his job right or was properly trained or whatever you know proceeding factor is he would have unearthed they i don't know if it was a man they would have unearthed many quote virginia mental health orders if one exists and as we know virginia mental health orders for edwards existed at the time of his hiring and it would have shown up in the correct database query because remember his gun rights had been revoked after the 2016 incident and evidence of this would be accessible to the virginia state police during this time that the agency was considering his application if the proper queries were done so they would have seen this there should be huge consequences for essentially giving this guy a gun yeah just, just straight up just giving him a gun like yeah we're like, like us what would put they aside... do to like a, a gun shop if they didn't do a background check on someone and he ended up going on a rampage like but the cop the cops are just gonna get like a a scolding yeah this could be like whoopsie human error we'll make sure they're trained better i guess in the letter, Settle wrote that all Virginia background investigators are trained to search for mental health orders, but the investigator who handled Edward's application was, quote, unaware of this requirement. So you in your statement just said he's not trained then. If if I keep saying he because I'm assuming it's men <laughs> that yeah. are police officers. But if all Virginia invest- background investigators are trained to search for this, 
how is he unaware how are they unaware of this requirement yeah uh that's just not like that what did you like skip class that day yeah <laughs> it's not a thing the agency's internal investigation indicated that Ed edward's investigator was the only one who failed to query properly which doesn't make sense if he's hired by multiple agencies is it only one background in investigator for every county i doubt it mm -hmm. as of this year 2023 the virginia police plan to implement new hiring policies including requiring background investigators and polygraph examiners to discuss any relevant information from the polygraph or interviews the department will also revise the background investigation policy manual and develop training for investigators related to mental health histories so you're implementing these things and revising them and whatever developing training for investigators so then how are people trained to hit that button if you have to develop the training it doesn't make That's any sense not yeah i mean if noah if if this happened twice then they just weren't looking like it just wasn't part of it there wasn't training for it then. no they didn't, they didn't fucking do it and they just didn't want to come out and say it exactly they're like um oopsie but look we're developing Human a error. policy manual human <laughs> error because we didn't train this guy and, you know it's human if you're not trained to do something that you don't do it <laughs> and it was only one person it never happened ever again it was only one person he's we're gonna responsible call this, solely we're gonna give this guy a pseudonym as well call him scapegoat <laughs> yeah yeah for real <laughs> so i guess you know you can look at it and be like, well, thankfully, they're like putting policies in place and whatever. But like, you should have already been there. At this point, it was 2021 that he was hired. Like, You're giving it's... him zero credit. No. I'm giving them zero credit. Yeah. The worst case scenario has happened. <laughs> right. Like, fuck you guys. And it, I'll give him zero credit as well because the disappointment doesn't even stop there. Yeah, it's like saying sorry after you get caught. You're not really sorry. Mm -hmm. You're just sorry you got caught. Yeah. So yeah, just the disappointment. It doesn't stop there. We know that 11 days before the murders and abduction, Austin had moved into his new house in Deliverance, uh, Saltville. But apparently, he still had his apartment in North Chesterfield. He was behind on rent and had received an eviction notice, but he still had access to it, and some of his belongings were still inside of that apartment. Belongings that many people say could be crucial to the investigation into his catfishing schemes and contain evidence of more victims out there. But no police agency has ever searched that apartment. They've really? all said, each agency has said it's not part of their investigation. There's no need to search it. And remember, his crimes took place in both Virginia and California. So yeah. there was so many agencies involved and all of them are like, nah. I swear to God, if they're taking a he's dead, so what's the point thing, I'm going to be so pissed because, like, yes. you're, you're supposed to provide justice to victims. That's part of that's a huge part of what you do. So, yeah, it doesn't matter if he's dead. You still have to make sure that the victims are attributed to the fucking guy who did this shit. Mm -hmm. And you can fucking disclose that and fucking put that on this guy's fucking tombstone. Mm hmm. So, I hope he. I hope he doesn't have a tombstone. I hope someone shits on his tombstone if he has one. Oh, I'll poop on it. I'll poop on it. I'll make sure I eat terribly the day before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be all fast food. <laughs> yeah. Greasy one. 
it'll be a slick one. Okay, anyway. Um, so what you're saying about like, well, he's dead, so who cares? Um, in this specific example about not searching the apartment, I don't know if that is Yeah, excuse. there could be multiple reasons. Maybe they got, like, they don't think they can get the warrant or something. I don't know. That's true. But also there's, the, it's vacant. So they could just use it. If the landlord was like, it's vacant, go in. But yeah, um, the excuse that he's dead has been used in other like parts. So like the landlord, for example, had um, wanted to sue Austin because he was late on rent and he had got the eviction notice and there was other like charges and fees associated with that. Mm -hmm. And the courts dismissed it because they were like, he's dead. Oh, so yeah, there's there is that excuse throughout this. But for the. Searching the, the apartment. Yeah, it's part of like the whole thing where it's like if you if you die, like no one can inherit your debt type situation. Oh, that's good. Yeah, unless you unless you sign something. Well yeah. Saying like this person's like that person would have to sign to take on your debt. But yeah. Uh yeah, it is just wild that there's a whole ass apartment sitting there mm -hmm. or was sitting there i don't know what the state is exactly today but i mean for a while this apartment was available the officers knew about it and they just wouldn't search it because they're like it's not relevant in any way yeah what an awkward situation for the uh landlord because mm -hmm. i wouldn't want to touch any of it no me neither i wouldn't want to touch it and i wouldn't want to move it and i would just probably go to my paper immediately and say i'm in a weird situation you should write about i have this fucking guy's stuff who went on a fucking rampage and the police don't want to investigate and I don't want to corrupt the evidence and I'll cause a whole fucking debacle for this dumbass agency that doesn't want to look into it. Absolutely. Because it needs to happen. Anyway, no more tangents. And it needs, it, it should happen. Yeah. Jane Manning, who is a former New York City sex crimes prosecutor and the current director of the Women's Equal Justice Project, told the Los Angeles Times that police should search Austin's apartment for evidence that could shed light on the killings or identify other victims who may need services. Any electronic devices he used to communicate with other predators could be especially useful. Mm-hmm. She said the possession and use of child sex abuse material and the abuse of real children can overlap, and it's common for predators to share child sex abuse material. Quote, some predators use pornography to groom children. Some predators use pornography to facilitate their own planning of the crimes they want to commit. Unquote. She made another great point. Quote, Edwards is not someone who acted on a sudden impulse that he quickly regretted. This is someone who sought out and groomed an underage child. He engaged in this conduct on multiple occasions. This suggests that he was deeply committed to abusing kids. It is virtually certain there are more victims. Unquote. Yeah, this guy bought a random shack in the middle of the nowhere and tinted the windows. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. And they won't go in that apartment where there could be evidence. There could be journals or other devices. Like we know the Saltville house was basically empty. So he had belongings somewhere. Mm -hmm. They're probably majority of them in this apartment. Like there's so many reasons you would want to go in there. 
like Jan Manning is saying. I wonder if like like I honestly this just makes me think like like police covering their own. Exactly. Even though he's not technically their own right now. Like he was in like law enforcement. Is. Yeah, like I think that they're just not doing it. They don't want to have to associate him with them. Yeah. But it you can't help but think that. What else am I to think? Exactly. Go in the fucking apartment. Mm-hmm. Especially when like Jane Manning is making these points of you could find names or identities of other underage girls that maybe need help. Maybe they were severely abused or they have to like fucked up or something from talking to Austin or other predators and they need services. Or if you have a list of names of people that Austin was communicating with, which you know he was because he had no life that anyone could speak to. So he was Mm -hmm. online only. Mm -hmm. There's probably a plethora of other freaks he was communicating with who are doing the same things that he's doing. Like, you could learn so much if you went in that apartment and found stuff like that. Like, obviously, we don't know what's in there, but what if? Yeah, just the just the possibility enough. That should be enough. But, you know, the apartment isn't relevant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yet, here is some key quotes given by officers involved in this very investigation. This is where I have a few of the quotes I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Riverside officer Ryan Railsback said, quote, The process of meeting someone online and portraying to be someone you're not in order for your own gratification, whether it's sexual, financial, whatever the case is, is extremely common. Riverside Police Chief Larry Gonzalez said, quote, This is yet another horrific reminder of the predators existing online who prey on our children. If you've already had a conversation with your kids on how to be safe online and on social media, have it again. If not, start it now to better protect them, unquote. So in nearly every early interview given by law enforcement, they talk about online predators, catfishing, the need for safety and talking to your kids about being safe online. So in that respect and in those early early stages, the words seemed genuine and very true, but not investigating a potential goldmine of evidence against a despicable human being, an online predator, because it's not relevant does not make any sense to me and it clearly does not make sense to others so it sort of changes the meaning of their messages and quotes to just saying like you know shit happens all the time these creeps exist it's nothing new and it's not our job it's your job as parents to educate your children not our job to investigate potential crimes against children and between predators Mm -hmm. it's like i don't think i'm being dramatic about that like (laughs) i hear multiple police agencies neglecting an apartment that an absolute freak owned and potentially houses vital evidence and they won't look at it like i hear that and i'm like then what do any of your words mean nothing because they're talking from both sides of their mouth and Mm -hmm. they're protecting their own interests because they realize that oh we're not we're not the moral high ground right now then we're just gonna stop and i just sit here like people don't forget yeah, honestly. You came out the gate swinging, like, we're going to hold a news, pre- uh, a press conference uh, in front of the media, and we're actually going to give you tips and talk about catfishing and online care. predators. We because really we care. care. But we now both. you have people screaming from the rooftop, like, go look in that apartment. There could be victims yeah, you can't, waiting to be discovered. You can't, you can't go to the public one day and say you'll go to the ends of the earth to protect kids in your community. And then when this happens, he's tied to you. 
And then you're like, whoops, no, you know what? This isn't relevant to us. And, you know, we're just going to let that stuff sit and gather dust and let the crime scene get compromised and uh, just forget about it. Just forget about it. So annoying. Yeah. It's gross. It's negligent. All of this has been negligent. So this has been a long episode, but a very important one. And I am getting ready to wrap it up. And like I always do, I like to bring it back around to the the victims and their family. Virginia-based attorneys who represent Grace notified Washington County, Virginia in March 2023 of their intent to sue them. California-based attorneys for Grace's younger sibling and aunt, Michelle Blandon, notified Virginia officials in May 2023 that they also plan to file a lawsuit. Quote, the California attorney's notices allege that Edwards' employers demonstrated negligence, gross negligence, negligent and gross negligent hiring, supervision and retention, breach of mandatory duties and other violations of Virginia state law. That was a lot. <laughs> the California attorney's notices argue that the family's damages exceed $100 million, unquote. Michelle's attorney said, quote, Virginia law enforcement is not going to share a shred of information without being forced to. The only way the family is ever going to get real answers is through litigation. Without the lawsuit, the truth will be whitewashed. Unquote. Mm -hmm. So that's the quote I had mentioned towards the very beginning, where we see that there will be a lawsuit. And this is the lawyer that had said, like, we probably won't know pertinent details unless they're forced to share them through litigation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So like the cause of death, how many people in law enforcement really knew um, Austin's past and the fact that he probably should have had a firearm, let alone been an officer and all of that. Mm -hmm. Michelle told the LA Times it was devastating that the two agencies had hired Austin despite the resources at their disposal. Michelle and other Winnick relatives want to, quote, change how the police screen potential new hires so this never happens again. Michelle added, quote, this shouldn't have to happen to any other family. My parents and my sister didn't deserve this. My nieces and my kids didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. My parents loved their neighborhood and community. To take them away from something that they loved so much is just unfathomable, unquote. About Austin Edwards, Michelle said, quote, we have some solace that this person will never harm anyone again, especially a minor. He took an oath to protect, and yet he failed to do so. Instead, he preyed on the most vulnerable. Parents, please, please know your child's online activity. Ask questions about what they are doing and whom they are talking to. Anyone can say they're someone else. Catfishing led to the deaths of the three most important people in my life, my mom, my dad, and my sister. Unquote. That is a very important message to leave it on. And that concludes another just gruesome, horrific, devastating true crime tale. But there has been good messages throughout it to take away and mm -hmm. to think about. And the main one is protect your kids. And the second one is fuck police who fucking cover shit like this oh my god yeah Good fucking god and just I because you have a cop living next out. to you that doesn't mean anything oh god no it does not 
(laughs) Don't be like, I'm so glad you live here because I have a wife and a baby that are alone a lot. Don't tell anyone that. Yeah, don't don't say that out loud. And mainly protect your children. Monitor their online presence. Educate them about freaks and opportunists and monsters who prey on vulnerable teens Mm -hmm. and children. Anyone underage. Mm -hmm. There's um, actually a couple links in the show notes to articles about keeping your kids safe online if you want to check those out. Um, Do that. Oh, my God. They used to do seminars at my school on how to protect yourself online. when This was like, fucking God, it was grade eight so like 2009 um no if you were in grade eight it would have been like 2006 why you gotta say shit like that because in 2009 yeah. i was in like yeah ninth grade Great. 2010 was when i went to university actually um stupid ass yeah how'd you get into university they didn't do a background <laughs> check on you i didn't uh go into a program that required me to deal with numbers um <laughs> yeah okay 2006 Social media, relatively in its infancy. Yeah. We had people coming to the school. There was no social media except, like, MySpace. Well, there was, like, count? Facebook and stuff, too. No one had it in 2006. Okay, so it was somewhere around there. Facebook was just starting. <laughs> they just went through all the, like... your bowls. Yeah, I know. But it's fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they went through all the privacy settings and explained, like, what things did and why you should do it. And, you know, they obviously covered protecting yourself online from predators but they also covered things like you know what you're one of the first generations who's going to be chronicalizing your entire existence yeah so maybe it would be worthwhile to understand how you can delete stuff properly how you can post things online making sure you're not giving away information yeah and how you can your geodata is a real thing people it... literally will have exact coordinates to oh, yeah. your location through your pictures especially if you have an apple product yeah yeah like right to the and i knew that from phishing like people would fucking accidentally burn out their favorite spot because someone would post it online and a bunch of freaks would go through the, the exit geodata. data and find the exact place on google map but <laughs> anyway and it would like teach you things like how to put your account to private so that you know you don't ruin your employment like opportunities lots of fucking reasons why you'd want to maybe show your kids why this is important and how to do it yeah especially because a lot of our listeners do have children um a lot of Kids these days are basically raised on a tablet or a phone. Yep. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It, the internet is in all facets of every person's life. Yeah. But yeah, it's such a good point you make about how 2005, 6, 7, whatever, early days when computers were in every household now, and internet was accessible just in your home and not having to dial it up. <laughs> like that education and just cyber health was Mm -hmm. given to people but now because it's just so normal and like routine and you feel like well everyone has access to it people are just naturally versed now and it should be you know parents that are having child locks basically Mm -hmm. but that's just not the case sometimes it's also just not something do not trust social media companies to protect your kids no even when they give products to protect like for kids yeah just don't just don't it's so much more complicated than just going on Amazon Prime and selecting, like, the the kid account to watch a video. Yeah. Like, it doesn't work like that when you're online with a bunch of freaks who are sadly way better at using the internet than you are. Yep. And very rarely are they using it for good reasons. Exactly. With their unfortunate talents for it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, in the show notes, episode description, whatever the fuck it's called. 
there's a couple links to just articles and different websites and stuff that have some information on keeping your kids safe online and just a general to be just safe and healthy Mm -hmm. uh, with your online use. Yeah, if you're already doing that shit, good for you. Maybe it's worth a read just to brush up or learn something on it. You know, never know. Exactly. So, I mean, all all other links are there, too. <laughs> we yeah. have links to our website where we have the sources for uh, each of the episodes we do. This episode in particular has, like, literally a whole page of sources. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, you know the drill by now. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye.